سنتمنت تسليمين كثيرة. So um, I've shared with you guys before the um, five stages of marriage. This is uh, something that's very common. Uh, psychologists as well as uh, marriage and family therapists uh, use this to show the different stages that marriages go through. Not all marriages, but most of them. Uh, but all marriages do pass through one or several of these phases. Um, so today what I want to do is, I don't want to just go through the phases and give it to you. I want to show you in real time with uh, what, you know, what these phases look like. And that you may possibly be in one of these phases right now in your marriage. And some of the mistakes that we make during this phase that actually exacerbate it and make it look, you know, more, more daunting than what it actually is. Uh, so let's start with the, um, the first. Everyone has this because I'm going to erase two through five and just leave one up there. So the, the first phase of marriage uh, is known as the honeymoon phase. Um, can anyone tell me what they know about this phase? What is, what is the honeymoon phase? marriage, which is considered the honeymoon phase. What is the, he said that that's the best phase of the marriage? That's what you said? <laughs> Why? Because it's sweet. It's the very beginning stage where everything is just in awe. <laughs> okay. It's sweet. Okay. Anyone else? And for those of you that are online listening, please pay attention. All right, because this phase right here can get um, very, it can be very deceitful. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this phase of the marriage can get very deceitful. It's not real. It's an illusion. Anyone else? Tell me about the honeymoon phase. Come on, guys. I need you guys to participate. It's not going to be fun if everybody's sitting there in this space. The fun stage. The fun stage. Some of the happy times. The front stage. Why do you say that? Because I think it's a lot of just, you know, pretending to be what you think that person wants you to be so that they stick around. Oh, God. I mean, no.
One of the mistakes that we've made, and this is actually what sets us up for failure in the very next phase because we end up fighting with one another, trying to get it back to what we thought it was when in fact what we thought it was wasn't. You see how that works? We're like, well, let's go back to the way things used to be. Well, honey, the way things used to be, we were drunk. <laughs> we were intoxicated when things were the way. So it wasn't actually a reality. We were in a matrix. That's what the honeymoon phase represents. So when people are in this lovey-dovey phase of their marriage, they're not really thinking that it's not going to last like this forever. So you need to start making preparations for, just like we make financial preparations for, you know, mishaps and other things that happen to our lives. We got backup money. We got money stashed. Right? Women are famous for that. Right? Yeah, that's a shot. This one right here. Stashes everything. You like, oh, you got $50 for this, now I'm broke. But then when you really need it, it's like she's coming out of the woodwork. And you're like, wait, I thought you were um, But we believe that things are supposed to stay this way. And in the honeymoon phase, as you can see, there's a window that is going to come to an end. And we have to make preparations for that. All right. Uh, number two, what is some of the some of the mistakes that we make during this phase? If you want to use your own personal, you can use your own personal. Having kids. <laughs> Preach. She said having kids during the honeymoon phase. O M G. Wow. Why is that a problem? And I'm hoping that we share this with our children, man, because we don't want them, we, we've made these mistakes. And right now we're, we can feel comfortable discussing these things because we've passed that phase. But we want to make sure that our children learn from our mistakes. That's the point here. She said having children during this phase, why is that dangerous? Because you don't even know each other well Before you even learn who you are, because you're still intoxicated. You haven't really seen yourself in real time yet. When that first argument hit, that is when the, the drugs are now starting to wear. Because now you're starting to see things wrong with the person. All right, you're starting to see the person for who they really are. All right, and this is when the arguments start. This is when the, you know, tit for tat starting to point out each other's faults and mistakes because you can see them clearly now. Right? You couldn't see them in the, in the honeymoon phase because you were drunk. Once the drugs start to wear off, you can actually now see the person for who they are. And if you've had a kid or two during that phase, that's dangerous because you haven't even seen yourself with this person in real time yet. All right? And this is why it's important that, you know, same thing I said, Eric, right? What did I say to you this morning? Enjoy your life, man. Don't have children at such an early phase of your marriage. Because you haven't seen each other in real time yet. If you are newly in a relationship with the person, you haven't, right? I married my wife in September. She was pregnant by December. I had a couple of months. And then once a woman becomes pregnant, obviously, she now is a mother. She's no longer just your wife. She's a mother now. She's caring for another human being, which means that you are only getting a share or a portion of what she can offer emotionally, mentally, Right? And otherwise, you know, sexually, right? All of those things play. So having kids during this phase is very dangerous, man. Um, why else is having kids dangerous in this phase? Because when the drugs wear off 
and you realize that you really don't want to be with this person, <laughs> yeah, you've already had the person's already pregnant by you, or the person's already you've already been pregnant by the person. So you're realizing that, hey, I don't really want to be with this person, but you're stuck with that person for the rest of your life. Even when you pull out of a relationship, you still got to co-parent with that person. And that is, you know, by far the worst. To co-parent with someone that you had a kid with in the honeymoon phase, you're co-parenting with a complete stranger. Because you haven't seen them as your spouse yet in real time, let alone seen them as a parent. Yeah, man, very dangerous. What else are some of the mistakes that we make in the honeymoon phase? This, this, this brutal, cruel phase of our marriage. What are some of the other mistakes that we've made? That was actually my number three. You're so on point. That was my number three. Overlooking the nuances that are clearly going to be a problem for you later on. Very, very good. You're on point. Overlooking the nuances that are going to be problematic. Overlooking the nuances that are going that are going to be problematic later on. Alright? Very dangerous. Alright? During the honeymoon phase, a lot of times people say, oh, this person's cute, oh, he's handsome, this person I want to be with for the rest of my life. But you are totally overlooking the fact that this person does not clean. This, the fact that this person gets very angry very quickly. And when the person, when a man gets angry very easily and quickly, when you're in the honeymoon phase, it seems cute. Oh, he gets so angry at times, and it's so cute. It's not cute when the drugs wear off. Oh, she don't really like to clean, so you know I, I help her wash. And that, that's cute. Until the drugs wear off. And you come home and there's a pile of dirty clothes on the floor. And you're trying to figure out, like, come on, we're, we're adults. Why is there a pile of dirty clothes? And it's like, don't talk to me like I'm your kid. I'm not your kid. Or whatever. It's like, but you're acting like a kid. I mean, like, what what do you want? How do you? It's, it's not a nice way to say, hey, can you get the dirty clothes off the floor? We have a washing machine. Can you get the dirty clothes off the floor and put them into the washing machine? and fold them up, right? There's no nice way to say that, you know, so we start to get offended, we start to, you know, feel like we're being disrespected, so we start to feel like we're, you know, overlooking the nuances that are going to be problematic for you later on. Very dangerous, man. We want to be able to be clear about who the person is. And this is why in Islam, we don't fall in love first and get married. You, you guys follow me? This is why the whole sit-down process is set up the way that it's set up. Because you go in using logic and rationale from the beginning. Because there is no connection. You guys have never been alone. You've never had sex. You've, you shouldn't have anyway. But, you know, you've never been in intimate settings before you made the commitment. So that you can use rationale. So that you can use logic, so that you can use reason and good, good God-given common sense. 
All of those things go out the window when you're intoxicated. Hence the fact Allah says, Don't come to the prayer drunk and intoxicated until you can understand what you're saying. This is why you don't come to prayer intoxicated. Because when you're intoxicated, you cannot use rationale. You cannot use logic. Which is why in Islam, if a man divorces his wife while he's intoxicated, it does not count. If he's intoxicated with drugs and alcohol, or intoxicated with severe anger, it doesn't count. Because your mind has been, your ability to make sound decisions has been clouded. Alright, so therefore, don't go into a marriage while you're clouded. And this is why we constantly tell brothers and sisters, stop you know, get the Wali involved from the very beginning. Stop engaging in, you know, intimate relations with people uh, because it's going to compromise your ability to get married to the person that you really want to be married to. You're going to be inebriated, and then when the drugs wear off, you're going to realize that I'm in bed with the wrong person. There's so many people who have woke, have woken up from their drugs, turned over to the right, and said, why am I with you? Yeah, that's when it gets real. And then, unfortunately, you might already have a kid or two, right, in that process. And you're looking at the person saying, why am I even with you? Very dangerous, man. We want to, for us, it might be too late. It is what it is. (laughs) But for our children, for our kids, for our kids, man, we want to make sure that they do better than us. We want to make sure that the next generation, they do better than us. As for those of you who are following me on social media, you know that for the past few months that a lot of my talks and a lot of my, you know, speaking has been directed towards saving our youth. For us, I kind of like, all right, it is what it is. I'm not investing a whole bunch of time and energy in our generation anymore. I'm sorry. We are who we are, and we're going to do what we want to do. We've made that clear. Our children, the next generation, we have to make sure that they have the proper tools to avoid the mistakes that we've made. All right? Anything else in the honeymoon phase? So let me, can I have two volunteers to come up and tell uh, and demonstrate for the audience what speaking to each other in the honeymoon phase looks like? Because some people might not know if they're in the honeymoon phase or not. And demonstrate to me, give me a small skit on the things that are actually being said or transpiring in the honeymoon phase that's going to end up being problematic later on. Can I get two volunteers? How about the honeymooners? How about the honeymooners? Eric, I don't know.
miss you, I love you. What's your day? What's your day? I'm just working hard, so I get back home with you. Years into your marriage, you don't give a damn who pays the bills, just as long as they pay. 
right? When you're in two or three, four years, it's like, oh, it's your Allah made you responsible for paying the bills. Once you get deep into your relationship, you don't care who pays the bills. It's, the rent was paid, alhamdulillah. <laughs> the mortgage was paid, the electricity is paid, alhamdulillah. You don't care who did it. You got it, I got it, whatever the case, it doesn't really matter. But in this phase, it's a power struggle. This is my money. You have to pay this bill. You have to pay that bill. You have to do this. I have to do Everything is black and white. All right? Because you're trying to maintain your own identity within the institution of marriage. All right? You have yet to merge yourselves in the marriage. All right? So you're still going out with your boys. You're still hanging out with your boys. Ten years into your marriage, your boys got to find you. You don't have time to hang out. Right? Two, three years into your marriage, you're spending your time at the masjid. That's what I did. Always at the masjid, always at a lecture. And my wife was like, okay, well, when do you make time for us? But I got to teach the ummah. And I got to, you know, I got to raise the awareness. And, you know, I got to teach. And I'm a student of knowledge. And it's like, okay, but you're married. So I had yet to, I'm still trying to maintain my own individuality within the marriage structure. And so there is this power struggle. All right, you hear a lot of people say in these phases, well, this is the way that I was raised, right? This is the way I was raised. It's like, okay, but you're not in your parents' home anymore. We're, we're in our own separate space. Well, this is the way that it has always been in my previous relationships. Like, okay, well, you're in a new experience now. It doesn't work like that, all right? Uh, if you are a single mother and then you marry someone and there's that power struggle because it's been you and your kids before you came into the picture, and you're going to make sure that you maintain how it was because that's comfortable. That, that was your comfort zone. And now you have something or someone new in your life and you're still trying to maintain what you had previously. Going back to the first phase, the honeymoon phase, you created this whole, that whole scenario of them talking about how much they love each other and they believe that it was going to always be like that. Once the drugs wear off, they're scrambling trying to get it back to what they thought it was. And every stop in the marriage seems to be like a mistake. It's like, oh, you know, why can't we seem to get back to where we were? It's just the struggle to get back instead of going forward. We're having a new experience now. There's no need to go backwards. We're going forward. All right? So this is um, the power struggle. Two to three to four years in their marriage. So now, is there anyone here in this phase? Nobody's here struggling trying to maintain their own individuality within the, the construct of marriage. Yes, absolutely. So this is the phase where the husband tries to exercise his authority, right? Because he's always been the man, right? In previous relationships, you was married to the damsel in distress. Or you was married to the woman who allowed you the space or the illusion that you were the man because women always give the illusion, right? It's always an illusion, we are never really the man in the relationship. They just make us feel like that. <laughs> make no mistake about it. Khadija, the wife of the Prophet was very great at that. She made the Prophet feel like he was in control. But when you look at their dynamic, when you look at their dynamic, she was 15 years his senior. He was 25, she was 40. Not to mention that women mature quicker than men do. At 25, we're just now learning how to control our impulsivity at 25. We still haven't reached 40, which is the, the age of you know maturity for men. 
And she was 40, 15 years his senior. All right? Not to mention she was wealthy, married previously, so she had a ton of experiences before she married him. So while we see this relationship between Khadija and the Prophet those of us who've been married long enough, we see something a little deeper. Alright? And she gave him the space. She gave him money to go out and purchase the freedom of those who believed in him. Right? She believed in him. He ran home after, you know, you know, seeing Angel Jibreel for the first time, afraid, scared, and she was the one who breathed life back into him. So when you look at all of that, you can clearly see you know, how that relationship was, you know, was set up. So the power struggle is where the man is, you know, trying to maintain his authority. All right, the woman tries to maintain some independence, both religiously and personally. All right, the man is trying to change her because he's saying to her, you know, you didn't know Islam like that. And he comes in, quote, nights and hadith. And she was born and raised Muslim. You can't tell me. My mother told me this hadith. He's like, dude, that's not even a hadith. <laughs> right? This is a power struggle. She's trying to make her household an extension of where she came from with her mom and her dad. It doesn't work like that. This is a new, new ball game. This is a new playing field. All right, but it's all the power struggle to try to maintain that independence. There's a lot of tit for tat, pointing out your faults, pointing out my faults, pointing out your mistakes, pointing out this person's mistakes, because as long as you're wrong, I'm right. You see? That's a power struggle. That's the ultimate power struggle. As long as you're wrong, then that automatically means by default, I'm right. And women are famous for that. And we love you still, but we, we got to, you know, truth be told, that's, that's who you are, right? Just own it, right? Just own it. It's your fault. Just say, just say you're wrong. The conversation is over. You're like, no, I'm not saying I'm wrong. I didn't do anything wrong, right? Classic argument in the home, in this phase of the marriage. As you move further in the marriage, you lose the energy to argue. You're just like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Whatever. You're right. Because you still keeping track. I lost track like around seven years ago. Like I don't even keep track anymore. Like you're right all the time. Just take it. We don't even have to argue anymore. My default button is your right. Take it. Right? You know, it, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, as you move further in your marriage, it's not about who's right or wrong. It's about that we're still in this situation together. We love each other. And that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. All right? Some of the mistakes that are made during this phase is that you believe that being right or wrong is the only way that you can see it. There's no in-between. Alright? It's either one way or the other. So things become very black and white in the power struggle. That's first mistake. Everything is black and white. Black or white. Anyone else can think of some mistakes that are made in this phase that is going to set you up for failure in the next phase? Follow, follow. Huh? Very good. That was my next one. False expectations. What do you mean by that? Putting your own standards on your spouse. Whoa. Expecting to know what you're talking about, know how you feel. Just assuming. Uh huh. You begin to put expectations on your spouse, meaning you begin to project on your spouse 
how you want to be treated without actually explaining or being transparent about how you want to be treated. The person should automatically know, right? This is a power struggle because you get to stay where you are and you have to figure me out. That's a power struggle. <laughs> Classic, you know, men and women. It's not just men, it's not just women. Men do the same. Well, that's the way I am. You gotta, you know, you gotta figure me out. It's like, what the heck are you, a Rubik's Cube? Like, I gotta <laughs> twist and turn and try to get in line all of the reds and the blues and the whites. We're human beings. Communicate with me. Let me know what you like and what you don't like. How you wanna be talked to, how you don't wanna be talked to, what gets under, underneath your skin, what doesn't. Like, communicate with me. Don't just walk up. You, you ever, you know, married to a woman and you wake up, you're like, sound like I'm honey? I'm sad. Like, what did I do? What's, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> you sure? Everything okay? No, I'm good. <laughs> then you go, you leave, you're like, alright, Sonic, I'm like, Sam. And you leave out, and you send a text back, I hope everything is okay, you know, just please let me know if, if anything is wrong. No, I'm good. And then she sends you a text around lunchtime. You know, we need to talk when we get old. Damn it, I was just in the house. <laughs> What do you mean we gotta talk when I get home? How would you just... <laughs> so you gotta live with this for the rest of your day at work. It's psychological warfare. Classic! We gotta talk when you get home. It's like, couldn't we have just talked when I walked in the door? Why do you have to send a forewarning to me that I, that lingers in the back of my subconscious for the rest of my day at work? It's almost like when you were young and you did something wrong at school and the teacher told you to go to the office, principal called your mom or your dad, put your mom on the speakerphone, she don't even care if she's on speakerphone, I'm going to whoop your ass when you do that. You're like, oh my God. Now, you got like five more periods left before you get home. Everybody asking you, what's wrong? You okay? Why? As if changing your behavior right there is going to stop you somehow from getting the butt whooping when you get home. You're telling yourself, if I change right now, if I be good for the rest of the day. Like, but your mother don't know you was good for the rest of the day. Subhanallah, man. Human beings, man. Human beings, man. False expectations. That is still a power struggle because you get to stay where you are and the other person has to figure you out. And that's not fair. That's not fair to do that. Just be transparent about what you want and what you expect from the person. And that actually should be done when? At the first stage. But you was too drunk to be able to clearly communicate your expectations from the beginning. This is why in Islam, the wali must be present and everything should be done before human emotions get involved. Once the emotions get involved, it clouds your judgment, you are not able to communicate clearly what you expect from the person, and so now you're two, three years into the marriage with false expectations. Very dangerous, man. We're ruining each other. We're not just ruining marriages. We're ruining human beings, man. Because we leave out of some of these marriages damaged beyond just irreparable damage. Broken from top to bottom, man. And then trying to, you know, drag yourself into another relationship. You know what I mean? Broken. And we, we have to stop doing that to one another, man. Alright, when we know better, we do better. Um, three. What are some of the, and we'll just do three. What is another um, danger or, or mistake that is made during this 
phase of the marriage. That in this stage you believe that divorce will solve all your problems. Yeah. You are already putting divorce on the table. Divorce will solve the problem. Meaning, if you're not going to act right, I'm going to just divorce you. Because I'm not going through this power struggle with you. It's my way or the highway. Right? And this goes for both men and women in the relationship. Alright? Power dynamics could fall in the lap of a woman. Could fall in the lap of a man. It depends. Alright? Just because Islam is a patriarchal religion doesn't mean that power dynamics are always in the hands of the man. Alright? The, the power dynamics is in the hands, if it's a love relationship, the one who is in love more. That, that's The one who is in love least, that's the one that has the most power. If the relationship is based upon love, the one who loves the least is the one that is in power. Why? Huh? They can do without you. And it's easier for them to walk away. So they're actually the ones that are in control. So every time they threaten to leave, you run in behind them, please don't leave, right? They're in power. They are the ones that are in power. The one who loves the least. If your relationship is sexual, the one who wants the sex the least is the one that's in most power. Understand how power dynamics work. When it comes to finances, who's the one that's in most power? Let me see if you guys can figure this one. Whoever bringing. It should be the man, but without bringing the household. It should be the man. When it comes to, when it comes to finances, who is in more control? Is it the one who brings in most money? Or the one who doesn't bring in anything. Say it again. The one who has most responsibility. That's it. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I can't hear it. Say it again. Costume. Who's most in control? Who's the power dynamics? The one who brings in the most money or the one who brings in the less money? Well, it's uh, typically the male. Uh, but we live in a different power structure, different power dynamics, especially with uh, the feminist era, the feminist woman, the feminist Muslima. Feminist Muslima. Walking ox oxymoron. Uh, oxymoron. Yeah. Go ahead. So who's, who's, who's the, the power dynamics is in whose hands? Well, the power dynamics, uh, typically, like the brother said, is in the man's hands. You know? well, that's but like the No, the question is, you guys are circumventing, man. Stop circumventing. Who is in control? The one who brings in the most money or the one who brings in the least amount of money in the home? The one who brings in so. As you can see, with the finances, the power dynamics switch. See, when it comes to love, sex, the one who wants it the least is the one that's in most control. When it comes to finances, the one who has the most money, the one who brings in the most money, is the one that is in control. And this is why a lot of women stay in horrible situations because the man has that power because he has the money. All right? That security. So understand how these things play out. And all of these things is a power struggle. You have those instances where the women got more money than men. Uh, 
in America, especially amongst African Americans, most households, the women have most of the money. In most households. Uh, you said, say it again. Especially with African American women, and I can't speak for any other culture, I'm African American, so I, all I can speak about is my culture. When black women get money, <laughs> black men feel the, the, the pressure of the fact that you have money. And maybe that's that inferiority complex because you feel like the man is always patriarchal and the man is always dominant. So now I got money, so it puts me in a more superior situation. But we feel that weight when you have money. You make it very clear. I pay the bills in this house. This is my house. Get out of my house. My kids. Don't touch my kids. Don't take my car. My keys. Leave my keys here. We hear everything becomes mine. Right? When you're broke, it's like, can, can, can I use the car? It's the car. Right? It's our money. Our money. How much money do we got? Okay. So, in this power struggle, sometimes people believe that divorce will solve, and believe it or not, most divorces take place around this time. Three to four years. Within that two to three to four year gap, most divorces take place within that time, during this phase. This phase and the very next phase. Most people don't make it out of that. Alright, because we get locked into this belief that divorce will somehow solve our problem. Divorce is not going to solve your problem. Divorce is going to exacerbate your problem. Because, why? Why does divorce make your problem worse? You get stuck in the cycle of those phases. You only go from honeymoon phase to power struggle in every single relationship you go in. You never make it past the second phase, or the you never make it past that phase. So you find yourself in this cycle of honeymoon phase, power struggle phase, and then you phase out of that relationship right back into another relationship. And this is how we have these serial marriages in the Islamic communities. Awesome. Thank you. You get stuck in a cycle because you begin to limit yourself in that I am only going to make it to the power struggle phase. I only got two or three years in me in a relationship and then I'm out. So So 
when we came with women, we wasn't never taught to go get married. We were taught to have as many women as we could. Very good. He said, the reason, one of the reasons why we get caught in this cycle is because that is how we have been calibrated. That's how we have been, uh, you know, conditioned in our lives. For those of us African Americans who grew up in single parent homes, we've been conditioned to our lives are short cycles of everything. Short cycles of friendships, short cycles of relationships, short cycles of, you know, bids in, in and out of jail. You do two, three years and you're out, you go, you're out for six months, eight months, and then you're back again for another two, three years. I know dudes who spent tw a total of 20 years in prison by doing 100 skid bids. Six months here in the county jail, a year here, two years here. It's a, it's a systematic you know, cycle that we have of short cycle phases in our lives. And so when we get with women, when we marry into the institution of marriage, we bring that same mentality with us. The moment it gets difficult, the moment it requires for us to invest more of ourselves in it, we pull out. Yes, Casa. Yeah, the power structure in, in today's contemporary dynamic, and I guess I'm the senior person here. Uh, when I went to school, <laughs> When I went to school, when I went to grade school, I walked from grade school in the morning to the school yard, and for lunch, I walked back home. Yeah. Right. My mom was there to prepare lunch. We did too. My dad was there at work, you know. But you don't have that dynamic anymore, and women assume more financial control. Are you back on the... Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> households, um, there's a lot of conflict in many households as it relates to that. It's like the woman makes the most money, but yes, the man still has this empty position of authority, all right? And it's hard for him to exercise his authority when the woman is making most of the money, taking care of most of the bills, and then she's still putting the responsibility on him. It's like, yeah, so what? Um, I'm making all my money, but you're still responsible for all of the bills. It's like, yeah, but you make more than I do, so what? This is your responsibility. Figure it out. And then when he, you know, borrow money from her or whatever, it's like this emotional indebtedness. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a. Now, I, was, I was just informed that's a form of domestic violence. I'm just saying. All right, number three. Um, the stages of marriage is understanding our differences. Yes. Okay. Understanding our differences. This is when we come to a point around three to four to you know up to seven years that we realize that uh, we're different. 
and our marriages were different. We're two totally different people having two totally different set of experiences in the same space. And, and that, that can be very awkward. But when you come to that realization, you start to stop trying to change the person. And you begin to now accept the person for who they are. All right? They, they don't wash dishes. All right? <laughs> uh, we didn't have a skit for the power struggle. Can I get one couple to come up and just give me about five minutes of what a power struggle in the home looks like? Just an argument of power structure, power, you know, dynamics, all of the things that we discussed. You trying to impose your individuality on her, she trying to impose her individuality on you. It's already started. Very good. For those of you watching at home, this is Kashif and his wife. This is this morning. This is this morning. Just give us this morning's power struggle argument. We're coming out of the power struggle. Typical argument of a power struggle. Well, why are you waking me up at 540? You, you need to leave. You need to pick up these people and be here by 6 o'clock. Because you know what time somebody coming in. You know what I got to do. And you ain't never with me when I'm here anyway. This is the stage of the marriage when things start to calm down a little bit. 
and you start to understand that you guys are different. You function different, you approach life different, you have, you know, different nuances that make your character and behavior what it is. Alright, it's just learning how to respect that. That's who you are. I'm late pretty much for everything. And she has to she has to live with that. Literally. I mean, and that didn't start in the honeymoon phase. That started way before. I'll have to sit down at six and I show up at eight. It's like, you know, you already know what you're getting yourself into. I have no sense of time whatsoever. Um, right. After Oscar, after Isha, and that could mean anywhere. I didn't use time. Alright, I was too Muslim for that. I would say, after Vohor, after Asr. I was too Muslim to use time. Well, the Prophet Salah was something to use time. They didn't have watches, right? Yeah, I was, I was on my Muslim thing, man. Couldn't tell me nothing. Salafi to the bone. The prophet didn't use watches. He used the salats for, you know, to designate time. Alright, so understanding that our, you know, we're different, the things that make us who we are are different, and just learning how to respect that. Alright, and that's 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 very difficult. Alright, because then that means what? That you actually have to see your spouse as they are and be comfortable with it. No matter how difficult it makes you feel, you have to learn that this is who you married and this is what life with this person is going to be like. Now, those things may change, but you will not enact that change. They have to change starts with them. They have to want to change themselves. But you cannot threaten a person with divorce. You cannot threaten a person with a hula. You cannot threaten a person to leave or to go to your mother's house or do whatever, take the kids and go. You can't threaten a person with that to enact change. Even if they change, it'll only be temporary. It won't be real, genuine change because of love. Change only happens because of fear of Allah and love of Allah. That's it. Which is two things that Allah uses all throughout the Quran. Fear and love. How does Allah get us to do something? He either instills fear in us. If you do this, you're going to the hellfire. You're going to be punished with this. You're going to be punished with that. Or he uses the, the tarheed, uses love. And mercy and compassion. If you do this, then you earn a lost mercy. Do this, you earn a lost compassion. That is the two things. And it works in human behavior as well. The only way you're going to get someone to change is to instill fear in them or to use love. Those are only two qualities that will get a person to change. Real, genuine change. And, of course, we are not the ones to instill fear in people. No one should do that. That's domestic violence. To control the person through fear. Yes. That is domestic violence. Going back to that cycle. Either you can be using money, and I'm not going to pay for this anymore, and that's a way of instilling fear in a person. Or, you know, I'm not going to take you here anymore, I'm not going to do this for you anymore. You're instilling fear in the person. And that's not going to get genuine change. That's going to get temporary change. So as long as that person is in fear of that thing, but then eventually the person comes out of that fear and calls you bluff. And then now you've got to find a new trick. So you're still not getting genuine change. Love creates genuine change. If you said to your spouse, you know what? Um, if you did this, it would probably make me love you more. Right? I would probably extend myself a little bit more because sometimes you withhold because you see the other person is withholding. But one of you has to give. One of you has to say, you know what? Regardless, I still love you. Regardless. Alright? So 
understanding our differences. There are uh, tons of mistakes that are made in this phase. Uh, what are some of the mistakes once we understand our differences? What are the... Um, what are some of the mistakes that we make in this phase? This is basically, I don't want to fight with you anymore. Like, like I, I get you. I see you. I see who you are, whatever the case may be. But in the process, we make some mistakes with that as well. We accept toxic behavior. Huh? You accept toxic behavior. Because if that person's nuances are rooted in toxicity, all right, and you've learned to just accept that, then now you have now settled for a toxic situation, a hostile environment. And now you've just become content with that. So you are now doing what? You've become an enabler. You've become an enabler. Because you just say, all right, well, that's who you are. But if it's a behavior that is toxic, it has to change. There's some behaviors that you just can't say, well, that's who you are. Just let me be. Let, no, I'm not going to just let you be. This is not your relationship. It's our relationship. You don't get to be who you want to be in our relationship. Relationships don't work like that. It's not your space alone. Here again, the power struggle. You still want to be able to be who you are, and I'm supposed to just accept it. So now you're trying to change me, right? This is what you'll hear people say. Oh, you're trying to change me. If I'm trying to change you for the better, what's the problem? If your behavior is toxic in our relationship, and I'm trying to give you some tools to help us become more cohesive, what's the problem with that? But no, this is a power struggle. You want to be able to stay who you are and be who you are, as toxic as it is, as dysfunctional as you are, and you ex expect me to just accept that. I'm not supposed to say anything. Just let you be. So we become enablers. We enable toxic behavior. Anything else? Understanding our differences, any other mistakes? Yes. Become complacent. How? You can just like not want to argue, maybe not want to bring up. Is that a C or an S? C. Say it again. Maybe this stage you don't want to make that tough. So you just you just accept things as they are. You become complacent because you believe that not arguing equals being happy. And that one does not what does not arguing lead to? It leads to pent up emotion, frustration, which eventually is going to bust. You know, this eventually, when you suppress anything, right? There's a phrase that says that um, suppression breeds expression. All right? A lot of times when children go gothic, right? You find they're wearing all black, they dot hair black, and you start doing weird stuff. To us, it's weird stuff. But in fact, that is an expression of something that has been suppressed in that child. Suppression breeds expression. So when you suppress an emotion, which you're not supposed to do, you're supposed to be free to express your emotions. When you suppress your emotions, it's eventually going to express itself in another way that may be detrimental, that may be unhealthy. So not having an argument just to suffice yourself and say, well, I don't want to argue with the person, so I'm going to just let it happen, doesn't actually mean that everything is good in your marriage. We have to get to a place where we can have uncomfortable discussions. Say, can I ask you a question? Why do you do this? 
Why did, this is the way you make me feel when you do this. All right? And when you want to have a discussion with something with your spouse about what, what they're doing, always put it as it relates to how it makes you feel. So that you're talking about the feeling and not attacking the person. When you attack the person, they throw their defense up and there's no uh, beneficial discussion happening. They put their defense up and they begin to talk about why they are justified for doing or saying that and you never get to the bottom of it. But when you talk to the person in terms of what they're doing and how it makes you feel and how it bothers you, then now you're discussing the feeling, not the person. So they don't take it personal. And if they really love you, they'll hear you out, and then they'll realize that that what I'm doing that's making you feel like that. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you feel like that. Inshallah, I'll, I'll work on that. You see how that works? But when you come and say you got to stop saying this and this and this, it's like no, I don't say that. Yes, you do. You do say that. You said that to me two days ago. It's like well, I can't remember two days ago. I didn't say that two days ago. It's like. <laughs> Well, you said it before. You said it when we was at my mother's house two weeks ago. And, you know, because women memorize everything. Every single incident. And it happened three months ago. On a Thursday at 2 p.m. in Wawa. And she remembers. All right? But talk about how it makes you feel. How what they did made you feel. And perhaps if the person loves you and they're sympathetic or they're empathetic, then they will realize that their action is harming you. Well, Allah, I if there's anyone who has any connection to their heart, when someone tells you something you did or something you said made them feel horrible or bad, it taps into you. No one wants to live with that. No one wants to live knowing that something I said or did made you feel horrible. I mean, that, you, you follow what I'm saying? Like, nobody wants to live with that. Um, let me finish this up. Number four. <clears throat> The stage is hanging up the gloves, waving the white flag. You're done fighting. Waving the white flag. Um, you no longer want to fight. And you want to work towards, you know, solving your problems. You're tired of fighting. You just want to be happy. You just want to be happy. Alright, this is now... A uh, stage that is probably past the five-year marker in your marriage, six years, seven years, you're done fighting. You guys have been fighting for a long time, trying to prove who's wrong, trying to prove who's right, trying to prove who's more knowledgeable, trying to prove who's less knowledgeable, trying to prove who is more, you know, emotionally stable and who's not, right? We get, we're done with the fighting. I no longer want to fight with you. I'm not your enemy. I'm waving the white flag, all right? That means I want to truce. Let's hang up the gloves, and let's now begin learning how to be husband and wife. This is where things start to settle down in the marriage. All right? Um, but in this phase, there can also be mistakes made in this phase. All right? Um, and we didn't do any, um, we didn't do a, a skit. Can I get two people to come up? Two minutes, and then I need about a total of seven minutes, and we'll be done. Uh, I need someone to come up and demonstrate real quick, uh, understanding differences and enabling toxic behavior. Basically, you see something in your spouse and you're like, uh, I'm not going to say nothing because I don't feel like arguing. But the problem still persists. Can I get two people? Come on, don't act like you guys haven't experienced this. No, we need, we need different participants. Come on. I need two people to come up. Come on. Demonstrate some toxic behavior that you don't want to argue about so you keep sidestepping the conversation believing that it's making your marriage better but it's actually making it worse. 
It could be a made-up argument. It could be a real toxic behavior. Your choice. A behavior that one of you is exhibiting in your marriage as toxic, and you keep avoiding it because you believe by avoiding it, it's somehow going to disappear, or you just want to be happy. You don't want to deal with it. <laughs> oh, Rara. Monday, the game. Sunday night, the game. Thursday's a basketball game. Friday's a game. What I want you to do is be at home and watch the game. Or not go out to watch the game. So you can figure out how you can fix it. This is morphing into a real discussion. Right. No, 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 no. That's good. Because she never said I need why she needs him home. She just says, I want you. And understand how this morphs into an argument because men don't like to be forced into doing something, right, that they don't want to do. We, we become, um, you know, defiant. That's our nature. Men, you know, you look at a lion, you're going to tell a, put a lion in a cage, he's going to become defiant. All right, that's our nature. But if a woman understands her wit and uses her womanly wit, she can get him to do whatever she wants him to do. I stayed in the house like two times, too. <laughs> so instead of her saying, um, I need you to be home and watch the game and find another alternative to hanging out with your boys. But she didn't leave with what? She said, "Stay home and watch the game." But what? 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 What was the key component that was missing for I need you home because I want you to spend time with me, and I watch. Can you watch the game with me? Well, yeah, that sounds way sweeter than. Woo! Try That's what we respond to. 
And that is what, it, what I mean by being transparent about what you need and not expect. You saying, well, we're married. He should know that I need time. You understand what I'm saying? And that is the greatest false. That is a farce. Let me just tell you that. This whole idea that we've been married this long, you should know what I need. I'm not a mind reader of you in that moment. Obviously, every woman needs attention, but I don't know how much, how often. You understand what I'm saying? You decide that. Because sometimes I get confused, too, because I might think we need to speak because we work together, and then we come home and we together. So sometimes we might need a little bit of... Right, sometimes we don't know. It's like, come here, baby, come here, boy. And you're like, let me get my space. It's like, all right, I'm trying to give you. You might want some peace, time to yourself. So let me go ahead and you know, I was confused. I didn't know. And then to miss the part too, like, man, if you do that, you don't because she said, come home. And he said, all right, two nights I did. And she like, yeah, but I don't want it to come off like that. Like, but he came. Can he get the credit for coming? Now there you go. There you go. Can he get some credit? It's like, I did it. And then you're still saying, well, no, I don't want it to come off like a funny thing. Right. Sit there and try to figure out when is he going to love me the way I want him to love me. 
Or you can express to him that you're not loving me the way I want you to. We don't come with a manual. I don't know how to love you until you tell me. You understand? I might think that everything is okay. I might, this is how men think. Man logic, 101, this is how we think. As long as you're not complaining, everything is okay. <laughs> 100, I'm just getting in the fuck with you. If you're not complaining, then that means that everything is okay. Whereas in the woman's mind, if I'm not complaining, that means that you should be aware because there's something going on. You see how that works? with him about the sports and when men start seeing that they're like oh shoot you're really into the game like that and they're like literally sitting on the couch Sunday and watching the game I mean like that's what that became her entry and I actually wrote about this in my book The Paradox of Change one of the later chapters is if you want a man to you know spend more time with you then you gotta go into his world the things that are important to him and some people might say well, well when does he do that for me there's a process though that there's a process some men weren't you got to think about it some men were never prepped we most of us how many grew up in a single parent home okay there you go that's 80 percent of the men that's in here so we didn't see men interacting with our mothers what we saw is if our mothers had relationships with other men, we saw cycles, here again, the cycles of relationships that our mothers were in. We didn't see a you know, sustainable relationship over a long span of time. So you're having expectations of us that are not realistic. You know, and all of these things would be worked out if you had that discussion during the sit-down process. Hey, did you grow up with both parents in the home? Tell me what life was like for you growing up with your mom. All right, and then that will give you an idea of who's sitting in front of you, who you're getting ready to marry. 
We don't figure that out until two, three years into the relationship. And then we try to figure out how can I get this guy to love me or to be into me the way that I want him to be into me or the way that my dad was into my mom. Well, you're marrying a man who didn't have a father. You understand this? It's, you know, we have to be realistic about that. Yes? I think another aspect, too, is that you have fatherless sons and then you have the mother-son relationship. So then a lot of us, they get married and you don't understand that your wife is not your mother. And so we keep continuing, but we do, we do mother, I get a part of it. Uh-huh. But then you're like, well, I give and I give and I give, and he doesn't reciprocate the way I want him to. He doesn't know how. Mm-hmm. If you don't give him a map, he'll never navigate to you. He'll never figure it out. Never That's powerful. She said if you don't give him a map, he'll never make it to you. Powerful man, subhanAllah. If you don't give him a map, he will never make it to you. This whole male, this mother-son maternal relationship that we have with our mothers, our wives are not our mothers. We went for our mothers and we got what we needed from her and then we ran off. And we do the same thing with our wives. We come, we get what we need from them, and then we run off to with our boys, we run off in our own lives, and it doesn't work like that. Alright? Yeah. It's almost like you have to No, you're not submitting to your wife. You're submitting to the, the mandates of the marriage. If that's what marriage requires, dictates, that's what you submit to. You don't submit to a, you're submitting to the institution of marriage. That's what the institution requires of you. And under, coming into that realization, that's what you're not submitting to your wife. And since so you're not submitting to your husband, this whole idea of be obedient to your spouse, you're obedient to the dictates of your marriage. You understand? There's a difference between the two. No, I understood. I understood you. I understood you clearly. I understood you. Uh huh. <laughs> So waving the white flag, 
And then the last one, of course, is marital bliss. When you get to that place where nothing else, mari- nothing else matters except just being happy, just being in love, and sustaining your love, letting the institution of marriage sustain the love that you have for one another. It's no more. It's not that you don't fight anymore when you're in. People say, "Well, is there trouble in paradise?" There's always trouble in paradise. All right. There's always trouble in paradise, but we know how to manage our trouble so that it doesn't spill over into the, the community, into the mosque, into other... There's always trouble in paradise. Marital bliss is, does not mean that you no longer get into arguments, you no longer fight, you no longer have disagreements. That's not what marital bliss means. Marital bliss means that you have now created a marriage manual that you follow these instructions when you get to get back to that place where you guys function at your highest potential. You function at your highest frequency. So you no longer allow the little skirmishes. The difference between an experienced married couple and an inexperienced married couple is that married couples who are experienced, when they have arguments, they know how to get right back to that place. Inexperienced, their arguments take them down this long, dark tunnel from which they can never return because they still haven't figured it out yet. That's the difference between an experienced married couple and an inexperienced married couple. So marital bliss does not mean that you don't get into arguments, but you don't let it control the direction of your marriage anymore. Arguments don't control where we go. Our arguments don't end up in, I'm going to divorce you if you say one more word. You understand what I'm saying? Like, our arguments don't end up there. (laughs) Our arguments don't end up, I'm taking the kids, I'm going to my mother's house. It's over. So are you asking for a hula? Is that what you're saying? You're branded it. <laughs> and then two days later, um, you text him, you, you, you email him, email Shadi Muhammad. My husband said I was branded the hula as I was on my way out the door. Does that really count? <laughs> I only really asked for the hula in anger. <laughs> All right, you, you don't you don't let arguments go that far. Uh, experienced married couple. So what I want you guys to do, for those of you who are experienced, I want you guys to create Facebook pages. I want you to create Instagram pages. I want we have to help people stay married. Any fool can get married. Anybody can do that. But we see marriages lasting two years, a year, six months, and we just you're just shaking your head because you realize that they were ill-equipped. They had no preparation to go into marriage. And for those of them, those of our community members that are actually in marriage and their marriages are salvageable, we want to be able to share information with them to, you know, empower them to become, to let them know like what you're going through. This is the stage that you're at right now. Are you here? Yes, we're here. I didn't know that. Yeah, the stage is to this thing. All right? And this is probably what you guys are going through. And these are some of the things, the mistakes that me and my spouse have made that, you know, I can share with you guys. Share that information with other people, man. People are drowning in ignorance. People are drowning in ignorance. I kid you not. Because we are not equipped as a community to go into marriage. Many of us, if we were not Muslim, most of us at this age in our lives wouldn't even be married. We're only married by default that in Islam, the only way you can have a relationship is to be married. Think about that for a second. We are only, many of us in the Islamic community are only married right now by default. That the only way that you can be in a relationship in Islam is to be married. Meaning, had we not taken shahada, or had we not come into the realization that marriage is important and the only relationship between male and female that Allah will accept, that God will accept, many of us wouldn't even be married. And so we rush into this 
without any understanding, any knowledge of ourselves, knowledge of the person that we are marrying, and we make a mess of our lives and the lives of the people that we are, you know, as Sister Nisa said, we leave a trail of tears. Yeah, and we have to stop doing that. So become a friend. If you don't do anything else before you leave here today, become a friend of somebody's marriage. That's what we're doing. We're empowering, inspiring people to empower other people. That's what we're doing with our marriage. Many of you guys are veterans, right? This morning you raise your hand. Some of you have been married five years, ten years, fifteen years. I've been married eighteen years, going on eighteen years, man. Almost twenty years. We're veterans at this. I'm not sitting here telling you something that you don't know. We're just putting it all in perspective now. And now we're moving to another phase where now we are now beginning to help other couples through their marriages. So if you're in an Islamic community and you know a young couple that just got married, make them make them under your under your, make put them under your tutelage. Educate them. Let them know that divorce doesn't have to be your remedy. Divorce does not have to be your remedy to your problems. Let me help you solve these problems. They're simple. The difference between me and you is not that we don't have problems. We have problems. We just know how to manage our problems. You have yet to figure that out. All right? You guys have been great. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you. Sallallahu alayhi wa nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasimi kathira wa akhiru da'wana. And alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. All right. Yeah, about 15 minutes break for the salat. Stretch. Um.